You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. And here to talk with me about the Assembled Avengers is John Mills. Well, I'm here to talk about it, but the thing is, my microphone, see, it broke, so I had to get a new microphone, and then the guys came and they repossessed my computer, but I found another computer, so, you know, it all worked out all right. Oh, man, that's so weird, man, because, like, I went, like, I had a problem with my own mic, and, like, I had to go to, like, Radio Shack, and then I met the guy that, like, I've known since, like, I was fifth grade. (laughs) I couldn't believe he was working at Radio Shack, right? And he's like, hey, did you know I was dating? Uh, Anyway, it's a long story. It, 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 you know what? Uh, <laughs> let's just say I I let you let me break into this oh, podcast. Man. So can can we uh, like before we even get started? How did they not have Luis do a whole rundown of the entire MCU before you sent people into Endgame? Can you imagine the video know. and how great it would have been? It would have been fantastic. It really it really would have been something special, like, I think. I, I know I'm not the only one who had this as an idea. Uh, you know, what's what's interesting, and obviously we're talking about Ant-Man this time around, but uh, I think something that, that we'll get to pretty quick um, in the discussion is exactly how dynamic these secondary characters are to the point mm-hmm. that they steal the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it's a real, just amazing lesson in a movie that has a huge, messy production history of how you can, yep. you know, sort of spill, spin silk from a sow's yeah, ear, absolutely. as the saying goes. Well, uh, before we get into it, uh, because we do have a ton to talk about here uh, with Ant-Man, uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed uh, so you get the episode as soon as it drops. Uh, and if you're on Apple Podcasts or even Spotify now, give us a star rating and review. Help people find the show. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter at TrekFM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Uh, you can also find the show, The 602 Club, on Twitter at The 602 Club. You can also find us on Instagram at The 602 Club TFM. You can find us um, online at Trek.FM. And, um, yeah, there's just so many places. I mean, we're everywhere. So uh, make sure that you check all of that out. But, John, you did mention something here. And it's something that we have run into already in the MCU, which is, I I wouldn't say it's a troubled production, but it is a production to which one person had been working on this for an exorbitantly long time and obviously had an incredible idea in his mind of what he wanted to do. And in the end, he leaves because of creative differences. And we're talking about uh, none other than Edgar Wright and his writing partner, Joe Mm -hmm. Cornish. Uh, They had been working on this movie for years. And he ends up having to leave because Marvel wants to go a different direction with the film than he does. Uh, And 
I mean, just to throw out some of the idea, like he definitely wanted to have the movie kind of open with a prologue that had, you know, um, you know, seeing uh, Hank Pym as Ant-Man in the 60s kind of doing this Tales of Astonishment mode, you know, like almost like a James Bond movie, Indiana Jones movie where, uh, you know, you have this adventure before the adventure kind of thing. And I, I just uh, I wanted to ask you, like, I know you know him pretty well as a director, and, you know, he definitely has a very specific point of view. He's not a director who's going to take less than he wants um, and not going to get to do what he wants. So how how did you feel about him not getting a chance to do this movie? Honestly, it's not something that played on my mind a whole lot going in. I, I knew that Wright had been involved and he walked away and they had different ideas and plans. And so there's a little bit of that playing in your mind when you go in where it's like, oh, I wonder you know, which part is original, which mm-hmm. part is, is new sort of the same way that you approached uh solo, a star Wars story after a couple of viewings where it's like, okay, well I know that this was shot when the original directors were still on board. And I know that Ron Howard changed this and moved that. How would this have played if they'd gone their way? And I think that, um, there's, there's a little bit of that with it. And I think Edgar Wright probably would have turned out something extremely special and unique and wonderful. But I can honestly say that it never really played on my mind. Uh, if any, and that what's weird about that is, is we all get spun up about the creative sure. differences angle. Oh, they're off this product production. Oh, they're bringing in these people. Oh, they're rearranging Rogue One. Oh, they're doing this. And we get all caught up in that. And I think that probably Ant-Man is a good one to sort of take a minute and think sometimes these things just need to happen that sure. way or you're going to get Age of Ultron. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. Um, and it, it, you know, it's interesting because uh, I, and when I was coming into the film, doing a, a, just a little bit of research here, um, just kind of into the whole process, because, you know, I remember it happened, and um, so I was doing some reading about it, and it was kind of fascinating to hear, you know, Evangeline Lilly talk about the idea that she thinks that Edgar Wright's movie would have been incredible and great to watch. She just doesn't know if it would completely fit in, though, with the MCU and in the sense of it feeling mm-hmm. like and mm-hmm. being the MCU movie that it needs to be, uh, because as we've talked about, you know, this really is a place and this really is a movie where uh, and a series. These things are at the point where it does have to fit in, you know, it mm-hmm. it, it needs to be to be a part of the rest of the whole and right i i think you're right you know that's that's like i you brought up rogue one and i think that's a good uh movie to bring up because obviously there are a lot of behind the scenes things going on with that film and it turned out to be something really great uh solo is another great example we both love that movie and there's a ton of upheaval there and that also turns out really well. And I do wonder, though, if 
there is a loss of and it is is this the demarcation moment for the loss of some artistic integrity to the mcu where we really are going to be like we need things to more fit into a mold than be unique no i think that that demarcation line is age of ultron okay okay because i think that and again we we referenced this when we talked about guardians of the galaxy Mm -hmm. yeah guardians of the galaxy age of ultron Ant-Man. And while Edgar Wright leaves production because of creative differences, I think that Ant-Man and Guardians have a very distinct and unique style Mm -hmm. and a very, uh, you know, they they go for more comedy. They go for more, uh, you know, sort of like over the top sort of emotion. Sure. As opposed to something that's more restrained, like Winter Soldier or something like that. And so I, I do think it's Age of Ultron, and I think that what you see is not a loss of art per se, but definitely a, I think there's a, a line drawn in Age of Ultron where Marvel basically says, we're not doing this again. Mm-hmm. You're right. either on board with right. what we're asking you to do, or you're leaving and that's fine. Mm-hmm. No ill will, except in Joss Whedon's case, I think there was a little ill will. And yes. <laughs> we're done with you. Be gone. I think I think that's a I think you know that is a good point, and and maybe one of the reasons why they make the choice they do here, you know, and 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 they part ways with right before it gets to the point where things are really going to be a mess. You know, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I think I think that's a really it's a really well thought out idea as as to when the demarcation line is. And but I do I, I do think that then this is the movie that in some ways I won't say suffers, but is changed artistically because they do want it to fit more within the mold that they are going for um, rather sure. than it be an artistic work, right? Not to say there isn't artistry in Ant-Man, but they want that artistry to fit within their parameters. And so I, I and and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um and so and it, because we can look at that and think, oh man, well that's that's just terrible. I mean, you know, but it like you were saying, it's not always a bad thing for the film. Um and in the finished product, right? In the end, it really does come down to how does the finished product work? Uh, and so, right. uh, so you get, you know, Adam McKay that comes in. Paul Rudd, of course, is going to be the star. Uh, Rudd and, and McKay actually work on the script together. Uh, and, you know, they end up adding uh, a few things that obviously tend are going to be really important uh, in the future with the fact that, um, they include the quantum realm. They include Janet uh, and what happened to her, you know, mm-hmm. the fight with an Avenger. You know, they add some things in here that that, that that play into subsequent films as well. And so they it seems like in many ways what they were willing to do is they were willing to play within the um, the Marvel milieu more. 
And I think that is what they really wanted, obviously. They, 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 they wanted that from this film. That's the one thing that I felt was tacked on, both when I first saw it and when I rewatched it here, is, is that fight with uh, an Avenger. Having Falcon come in, it's a cute scene. It's, it's well-staged action. I don't have a problem with it in concept per se, but it's the one part of the movie I remember walking out of the movie theater with Craig saying, man, that really felt wedged in. That just felt like they just, they felt obligated to have him face an Avenger to, to bring it in. And the thing that irked me about it was everything else fits into the Marvel universe just fine. They reference the Avengers. They talk about mm -hmm. Stark. Oh, sure. And I, you know, I fought for my life to keep this out of Stark's hands. Mm -hmm. So we get our first blush at the idea of other people didn't think that Howard Stark was so great. Right. And we see the first, I, I think it's beautiful in the beginning how we see the Triskelion being built mm -hmm. and having that confrontation, dropping that hint that shield had been corrupted that early on and that it was, it, you know, that it was just root and branch. So that ties into uh, winter soldier really, really well, but that, that Falcon scene, it's fun on its own, but it's stinger territory. It's not, it didn't feel like it needed to be an organic piece of this story. Do you agree mm -hmm. with that? Or do you think that I'm, I'm pushing too hard? I don't know if I agree. Um, I, now, and, and let me say, I, I can see what you're saying um, in the sense that, uh, you know, does it necessarily have to be here? But I think, to me, the way that they did do it, um, I think it works for the film. And um, it, it's, it, it's a lot of fun, I think, still. Um, and... I think it's well done, like you said, and they, the reason they're there is to steal a piece of technology that they need to make this work from an old Stark lab, and it just turns out that the old Stark lab has been turned into the new Avengers uh, playground, and I think this was a, this was a fantastic way to get any of the other Avengers in, right, and... It does also seem like one of those things where by doing this, they were able to create a relationship between Falcon and Ant-Man that leads well into the very next film and feels a little bit more organic in the sense of like, you know, we've talked about the, the idea that this is like television, you know, and in many ways, too, it also just kind of feels like something that would happen in the comics. So... In all of that, I don't feel like it's as forced as, as you do. Um, and, and you know, I think the, the biggest part of that is that I find the scene so enjoyable that it's hard to, to be upset that it's in the film, right? Like, yeah, they could probably take it out and find a, di a different way to do this. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I kind of enjoy the scene so much that I can't really be upset that it's in the movie. And I feel like... Yeah, I don't know. I might miss it if it was gone, too, just because it's it's an enjoyable part of the film. Yeah, I, I, and let me be clear, while I feel that it's wedged in, it's not something where I hated it or something like that. Oh, sure. You know, it, it's, Absolutely. Yeah. It works okay, and, and, and it's fine, but it's, 
I think sometimes I just stray a little bit farther on the scale toward brutal sure. <laughs> focus sure. in the story. Sure. And so it's like, no, and, and I, I, I freely admit that this, this becomes sometimes for me a real hindrance mm-hmm. because I just look at it as, can I take this puzzle piece out and not miss it? Right. And if it, if I can say even for a moment, yes, I immediately turn against it because mm-hmm. it's, and, and the ironic thing being that there are so many movies where I love them, even though they have those extraneous scenes. So it really right. seems to be a case by case thing, but yeah. Just to be clear, it didn't bother me a whole great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it felt like it didn't need right. to be there. And and I so. and I mean I guess too like I you know there's nothing wrong with that. You know I, I think it's it's a a very valid point to bring up the fact that you know when we talk about any of these movies and when we talked about it when we talked about Age of Ultron the idea of like there being extraneous material material that. You feel like you could have excised or you could have cut down so that it would have worked better with the movie. I I think that makes complete sense to me um, because, yeah, there I mean, obviously we had parts in that film where we really were like, OK, gosh. You could mm-hmm. cut this down, yeah. you could change this and, and it would be a much better movie. And, and, and that's, I think, the thing here. It's like when I put it up against what had just come before and i think to myself well if i took this out would it really make it a much better movie i i don't think so you know like it it still mm-hmm, works mm-hmm. within the context of the film well enough to where i don't feel like oh well if i had excised that that would have gone from a four and a half to a five or a four to you know like i think that's the that's right. the part where i would have been really uh thinking about okay i've got to make that change so um i i I wanted to ask you um about because we're talking about this idea of and and i I really like that you went here and and i think it leads organically into this this question i had is this not one of the most compactly plotted thematically uh, and every other way Marvel films that we've seen so far. I mean, like, oh yeah, like maybe since some of the, I mean, like, I think of like Iron Man or Civil War, uh, not Civil War, uh, Winter Soldier, yep. or like it just feels like there's everything in this movie is working together perfectly to build another part of the movie, and 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 so I, yeah, mm-hmm. I. I completely agree with that. It it is with with the exception of that that Winter Soldier thing, this moves at such a clip that it's over before you know it. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching it and there are movies where you can feel their length and you're like, "Okay, let's let's wrap it up. Let's get there." Dark World is a great example. Yeah. Could we please speed this up? I've really had enough of this. But this is it found that sweet spot and I think that is Peyton Reed's gift in the way that he can motivate the whole team to find the structure for the story that can move really good. Because when you think about it, he does this tremendous blend of like montage within montage Mm -hmm. at certain points when Scott's learning how to use the suit while also working on the suit while also getting in arguments. And there are so many things moving in parallel, but it never feels like something is occurring too early or too late. And so that's really complex script writing 
And you need somebody like Peyton Reed who's able to flip those things around effortlessly. I'm a huge fan of his, uh, if, if anybody can't guess on that. He did do the movie Bring It On, which is a fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. It truly is. You'd think, wait, it's about cheerleaders starring Kirsten Dunst. John, why are you singing this movie's praises? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. You'll love it. Uh, and this has that same sort of energy. And I think what it is, is again, we've hit on this before with Iron Man three, with winter soldier, with guardians of the galaxy. Uh, Peyton Reed is one of those directors who gets the performances, the precisely right performances out of his people. I believe every single, I've seen Michael Douglas my entire life. Mm -hmm. Guy's been acting for literally like 50 or 60 years. And I, I lose Michael Douglas in this movie and I see Hank Pym. That's a tremendous accomplishment. Evangeline Lilly, I'm a huge losty and I should be looking at her and seeing Kate. Nope. I didn't. I, I saw like, I saw these characters mm -hmm. and again, I, I, I know I've mentioned it before, but man, the crew that, is you know scott's friends yeah. <laughs> are absolute scene stealers yep. in yep. this but it doesn't take anything away they are the most welcome comic relief they're they're so they're so deftly performed that scott's comedy doesn't feel like yes. shoehorned yep. iron man 2 yep. comedy and it also in a way is a subtler Peter Quill. It, it, that, that side crew helps Paul Rudd shine in this movie because his humor, even though it's very, it's very Tony Stark, Peter Quillish, he seems so much more subdued by comparison and they're never in a scene that they don't belong. And I think that really works to the advantage of everybody. Well, and I, I also think that part of, the the humor aspect here that you're talking about is that with Scott, the humor is more self-deprecating. And yeah. I think that's what makes it so lovable because, yes, it's quippy, but a lot of it has to do with him being self-deprecating. And that works for this down-and-out character, you know, who – can't mm -hmm. seem to find a break or f uh, find a way to change and, and, and move on with his life. And, you know, it's I, – I think the thing that really makes this work for me the most is when I was piecing together and really coming to the the realization that this movie is about two fathers who have yeah. both made the same mistakes in many ways with their daughters – and they're just trying to earn back their daughter's love in many yep. ways. And everything about this movie builds around those themes. And that's what makes this mm -hmm. movie so good. And I think you're absolutely right is that Peyton Reed really crafts a story around that thematic element. And everything else plays into that. It's about the relationships of these two fathers with their daughters and... The rest of the stuff is just there to support that, even all the crazy stuff we get. And I think that's what's so <laughs> beautiful about the movie is because 
it makes it holistic. And that's the thing mm-hmm. that I think some of the Marvel movies that we've talked about recently, you know, whether it was Ultron or Thor the Dark World, they've kind of missed that holistic element where everything is playing into the next part so that you never and, – and that's what I think leads to that feeling like you said where it's like it moves along so quickly, you, you're you out before you know it, and it – and you're almost wishing there was more, right? Because you enjoyed the journey so much. And so mm-hmm. I I really think when it comes to like the thematic elements, that's the thing that brings this together. And it, it makes it one of the most heartfelt Marvel movies we've had in a while as well, because you feel for Scott and his desire to live up to his daughter's uh thought of him you you feel for hank and the loss of his wife you feel for um the loss of his friends at shield who he sees as people who've been trying to misuse his own technology and steal it from him he sees uh and you feel it when he's estranged from his own daughter um because she sold him out before realizing that she was wrong. Like it's like there's all of these great elements and and I think it's it's the thing that really brings the film together and you touched on this too, but the casting in this movie is 100% perfect. Like it's yes. phenomenal. I, if somebody had come to me at some point and said, "I'm going to cast TI in a movie and, you know, he'll, he'll be one of the the breakout scene stealers. I'd have been like, yeah, okay, sure, sure, sure. But he winds up like, I, I, I just, I can't. The thing is, you, you wind up being, uh, sounding sort of like a fanboy because everybody came out of this movie talking about the crew, right? Because they were so blown away by what they did, and the, you know, these were star making turns. And the, the thing that blows my mind as well is that uh, David. Uh, Desmalchi and I always butcher his last name. I think I hope I pronounce it right there. But he gets to be in both the DC universe and the Marvel universe, and then he bounces back to the DC universe for the Suicide Squad. So, like this guy is like a go-to uh, comic book movie character actor. Mm-hmm. Like I love seeing him pop up. It's just so wild to see him go back and forth. But man, I remember the first time that I uh, I saw the movie. Michael Pena stole the show so much. People were practically out of their chairs cheering for him. And I like what a star making turn for that guy. I, I just can't I can't get over it. And the fact that um, there are so many just subtle little moments that that play so well. The one thing I want to ask you, though, is. The, there are great themes in this. There are tremendously uh, fun moments. Do you think that the balance of score and soundtrack music, you know, selected songs, the, the diagenic stuff, do you think they hit the right mix here? Because Guardians of the Galaxy, let, let's just go ahead and say Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man are in the same family of type of Marvel movie. And Guardians of the Galaxy, we both agreed, we're like, I can't really recall a theme too much. The music's there, but it's, it's spot music. It's okay. 
and everybody knows Awesome Mix Volume 1. With this, do you feel there was a better balance between score mm-hmm. and in-universe music? Or do you think that this uh, falls into the Guardians of the Galaxy trap? I think it's slightly better than Guardians in the sense that the actual score is a little bit more memorable. And part of that is because it taps into that kind of heist caper, um, Ocean's Eleven type of feel with the score. And it's the perfect type of score for this movie because that's exactly what this is, is basically an Ocean's Eleven type film. And now I will say it's only slightly better. So and slightly more memorable. And I this is another place where I do feel like. It's not a detriment to the film, but the film could have been even better if the thematic work for the music had been even more memorable. I get that. I get that. Um, the music's done by Christoph Beck, who also did Frozen a couple of years prior, and he comes back for Frozen 2, so he's part of the Disney stable. And I agree with you, the music isn't particularly... Uh, quote unquote memorable like it's, it's it doesn't have the same weight as when I sit down and I watch uh, you know something like Endgame right but at the same time isn't that an unfair metric I'm putting on it because Ant-Man isn't the same type of movie isn't he just delivering exactly what he's supposed to here which is music that works but doesn't overpower the scene in a sense you could make an argument that by the score being a little bit more uh, less emphasized or less memorable, it works to the advantage of the characters because it's an, it's an accent for what they're doing Mm. to make that, you know, like it's sort of that whole thing of it's like editing. If the editing draws attention to itself, it didn't do its job, right? It should be invisible to you. So in a sense, the composer for a movie like Ant-Man is boxed in where they can't make themselves too memorable because if they do, They've taken you out of those comic rhythms with Michael Pena and T.I. and David Desmalchian and and all of those people. Yeah, no, I definitely so. agree with that part. And and then I think, that, you know, the the work that they do with, you know, some of the, the needle drops work perfectly for the film. And, and again, I think in some ways this is the place where it's working to create a whole and the music works well within the movie. It might not necessarily be a, a soundtrack that I would want to listen to over and over again outside of the film, but it works with yeah. inside the film. And I, I also kind of think this is another place where, okay, so yeah, the score is serviceable for the film. I also kind of think the villain is just serviceable for the film. Uh, because really? I don't find... Now, Corey Stahl is perfect to choose as this character of a kind of unhinged Agree. Uh, person who, you know, is trying to live up in the shadow of Hank Pym and, and never able to eclipse it and is slowly going insane, right? Um, but I wouldn't say he's he's not like one of your top tier villains in the sense of like, you know, when I, I think of for 
the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like he doesn't live up to something somebody like Loki. Um, but he again, he works within this film very well. He's just not somebody that I think of when I think of the like a list of Marvel villains. I'm going to pull him out as being one of the best. Here's where I'm going to kind of disagree with you, because I think that he's a more refined and uh, he's an extension of Obadiah Stane. Okay, I could see same that. Same type of feel to him. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's a refinement in the sense that I think that the character is a little bit more pulled in and a little bit more, there's some better guardrails on him. Sure. I think that I, he is. Yeah, I get what you're saying there. He he's a more believable villain too. This is definitely this is definitely one of the MCU movies that Age of Ultron just completely doesn't care about rooting it in quote unquote reality. Ant Man is unique in the fact that I believe this villain exists. I believe that his goal is true. I believe that and it it does all of this stuff that makes me think. Okay, well, yeah. If you have a magic particle, I think this is how it would work. It, it's it's like good Star Trek where it tricks me into thinking that it's BS could actually be scientific, right? And so I think that it it is it's a catch twenty two because yes he's he's exactly the type of villain that this movie needs, but at the same time, by being the exact type of villain this movie needs, that's a good thing. Absolutely, and yep. I think that. I think that Corey Stahl is having a fantastic time with it. I think that he is having so much fun with this and he sells it. Yes. I believe that this is a guy mm-hmm. who doesn't think he's the bad guy. Right. He thinks that his actions are justified because he's been so driven toward this one goal. He can't let anybody mm-hmm. get in his way. And so, yeah, I yeah. like that. It works for and, me. And in that, I think we definitely agree and and I see one hundred percent. And I think it that's you know again, even though I wouldn't call him one of the top tier villains, I think he works perfectly for this film and therefore I don't have an issue at all with him, you know, and and I think you know, that's something about this movie that I think is really interesting because at the same time that we're talking about this film, it is introducing us to an incredibly complex and, like you said, techno babble filled idea, which is, you know, we're shrinking the distance between molecules so that you can get smaller, and they're introducing the quantum realm. And I mean, this is a whole new part of the MCU, just like in many ways Thor was with kind of introducing quote unquote uh you know magic right with quote unquote gods uh, you know what's interesting is that this is the close of phase two phase three is really going to introduce us to the ultra crazy in the MCU. You know, in the sense that not only are we going to get the quantum realm here, but we're going to get we are going to get the full on magic realm with like Doctor Strange. Uh, And so what I think is fantastic here is that they are able to introduce uh, something like the quantum realm and make it make sense in a two hour movie 
but not have it take over the rest of the movie. Like it never overshadows Mm -hmm. what's really important here, which is are these human characters and their thematic elements and what they're going through and their growth. That's really incredible. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think again, that's a a function of the script writing and of, of read where they understand that they can't sit there and get bound up in it. And I, 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 the Iron Man character and the movies in their weaker moments get a little bit too consumed with explaining how things are happening. Ant-Man has figured out that the, uh, if you will, the Star Wars explanation of things works really well, where give me just enough to understand that the characters who are talking about it know what they're talking about. Give me that impression, and I will just accept what they say, as opposed to giving me so much detail that I can sit there as an educated person hopefully educated. Some people might dispute that with me, but we'll see. But like one of those things where if you give me too much, I'm going to start breaking it down. But if you give me just a little, and I believe Michael Douglas, when he talks about he's, he's in a way he's speaking as somebody who has authority. And so that delivery is very important to say, I, you know what? No, you're going to get in the quantum realm. Nothing makes any sense there. And he doesn't go down and try to explain the quantum realm to Scott. He's like, this is what happens, and let's move on yeah, from that. Because That's could you understand you it anyway? I mean, like. <laughs> right, exactly. What, what's he going to do? Give him like a, a PhD course uh, in, in the movie? No, he just. He hits it and he keeps moving and and so it works really, really well. And so that's you know, that's a function of all of those things coming together. And the thing is the the thing that is that I'm sort of tripping on here though, is that we're we're heaping all of this praise on it. And I think it's very justified. I think it's very necessary. I think it's very uh, there is a lot of positive to say about this movie, but I want to open the floor to complaints that you might have. Where do you think that this movie stumbles? I mean, there's a long pause here because I don't think it does. Really? I really don't. Um, You think that this is just one of those knock it out of the park five cylinders? And the thing is, is that, I mean, I don't know if when we get to ratings, it would be, you know, five stars or anything, but I, I, there, I think when we were talking about the idea of how everything in this movie works together, it feels like a complete story in every sense of the word for everyone involved and it feels like one of – it feels like, you know, again, like an Iron Man in that sense. It feels like a Winter Soldier in that sense where you're creating a, a full-fledged thing. And, and I I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking myself into this movie being way better than I thought it was because I'm consistently surprised with how I, re- I reacted to this viewing and being like – Everything about this movie is working the way it should. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was this idea because I was really struck 
by the fact that we introduce a new female character who feels complete and important mm-hmm. in the film just as much as any of her male counterparts in a way that Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow has not yet up to this point, except for in Winter Soldier. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one because of the fact that they very much approached uh, Black Widow as we'll give you bits and pieces of her here and there. She's mm-hmm. always going to be treated as a side character. I think the difference here is that our our, our female character has an obvious history that predates our main character's introduction. He's interrupting her story. She's mm-hmm. not interrupting his. And you very much get the sense because of how well it's written and how well it's performed. You believe the history that's there and it has nothing to do with Scott. Nothing at all. There is nothing about this character that needs him to exist. And so hope becomes this really interesting character because of the fact that I, I'm allowed to relate to her on her own terms. Gamora even suffers a little bit because I'm introduced to her to relate to her in terms of her sister and in terms of Thanos black widow. We've all, we've already talked about. So, and pepper Potts is only ever, relatable in terms of who she is in terms of her relationship with Tony. So I think that, and Maria Hill is a side character who doesn't get a whole lot of screen time. She's very well played, but you know, it's not like she's a main character. Mm -hmm. She's a cameo practically. Um, So yeah, I, I agree though. I think that um, this is, this is a female character who gets, to be her own person, which is sadly unique up to this point in in the MCU. Um, Scarlet Witch almost gets yeah. there, but Whedon fumbles. Yeah. And I would say next to, I think she might be our strongest female character next to Carter. You know, when we, we talked mm. about Captain America, the first Avenger, Peggy Carter is an incredibly strong character with her own sense of being before Steve comes on the scene, right? True. You know, Steve interrupts her, her life the same way. So I, I feel like that's... And so the best representations of, of female characters I think we've seen have been, uh, you know, Captain America, uh, First Avenger, Winter Soldier. Uh, I think we both uh, thought uh, Incredible Hulk was great with Betty's portrayal. But here, I think Hope yeah. creates a character who we can tell going forward she is going to be more important to this series, at least, um, and to the MCU in, in the sense that she is a fully formed, fully fledged character, regardless of being female or not. And I think that was just something that was really struck by uh, in the movie as I was rewatching it about this hadn't it really hasn't been this way in the MCU for the most part um i agree so i agree and and it's great that it's 
Evangeline Lilly, too. I mean, I think that's the other thing that helps is the casting there is so good with her. Uh, and this is going to sound really stupid, and I, I get it. I get it. But much like Michael Douglas's goatee changing her hair because of how well-known Evangeline Lilly is, is extremely important and an extremely good decision because you need to visually divorce her from who she's known for yes. being before I can buy in. Mm-hmm. Because, again, as a losty, not a chance I'm going to see anybody but Kate until you put her in that yep. wig. And then I'm like, oh, okay, this is a different character. And I know how dumb that's going to sound to some people. I really do. But Fabio is Fabio when he has his <laughs> long, luscious yeah. locks yep. uh, growing out of the side of his head. You give him a crew cut, he's not Fabio anymore. You know, so um, and kids, if you don't know who Fabio is, do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor. Look him up, please. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, Uh, man. Fabio. He even had a 900 Mm. number back in the day, just so everybody knows. Okay. Okay. He did. You could call and listen to Fabio. No, no, no. It wasn't mm-hmm. like one of the bad ones. Good. They, this, they ran good. this on that's daytime good. You TV. Never it was like it. You could, that's good. I don't know. Glad I that's don't know. The case. I never called it, but it was like, yeah, listen, listen. Mm-hmm. The ads lead me to believe that it was Fabio just talking about, mm-hmm. I don't know, okay. stock tips or something mm-hmm. like that. Something fun, but you could listen to Fabio. So it was a good mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah, yeah, actually, well, you know what? That's a whole rabbit hole. Never mind. Uh, just look them up, kids. So <laughs> this is what's tough then, though. If we can't come at it and hit problems with it, because the thing is, I like I go back and I well, start. Are there any other than the one problem that you mentioned, which was you thought yeah, maybe we could take out the fight with, uh, you know, the the Avenger with uh, Falcon? Was there anything that you were thinking to yourself? I, mean, I think that it accidentally winds up spinning tires a little bit in the resolution with Hope and Hank, where Scott comes out, talks to her, they have a moment, and then she goes in, she has the moment again, but with Hank, and then Scott interrupts it. Like There are little moments like that where it's just the gears don't mesh quite sure. as well as they should. I also think that even though I love him as an actor, Bobby Cannavale's character as the stepdad or the step fiance, whatever, they're, they're not mm-hmm. married by that point, with Judy Greer, yeah. it's too convenient that he's a police officer who's going after Scott mm-hmm. and he's engaged to Scott's ex. Like it, it doesn't, it feels a little too convenient uh, to exist. And so that sort of thing is is where I'm I'm a little bit uh, disconnected in those moments, where it's one thing to have him have conflict with the 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 future stepdad that makes sense, that makes complete sense. But then he's also the cop that's going after him is eh, it's a little too yeah. it's a little too I, compact. I can understand that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Those are the only major stumbling blocks I hit, though, because the thing is, the movie moves so quickly that it doesn't give you time to find a problem. And that's why the editing is so good. And that's why it's so tightly written is it just sure 
even when I'm having that problem with the fact, oh, okay, all right, he's fighting Falcon. Do I really need this? It's over so fast that I don't really mind. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not that big a problem for me. Well, and I think that's one of the places where it just understands what it is, which is a comic book movie, right? It, but it's it's a tightly compact, well written, holistic film that is is only mildly concerned with the MCU at large. It's telling its own tale, which I think is really important, and that's one of the things. Like our love for the Incredible Hulk came from that, which was it was telling its own tale with with only being tangentially connected to the rest of the mcu and it's important to note that getting an origin movie this late in the game emphasizes two things one it's really well done two there's no reason we couldn't get a black widow origin movie by this point yeah (laughs) listen it doesn't even need to be an origin movie like this one is just a black widow focused movie where we get some of her history why does ant-man get it yeah but yeah. she doesn't know. she's been in the first avengers movies for for pete's sake give her her own movie yeah. please yep yep i i i what i what i kind of love too is that you know we've talked behind the scenes for years and years now and i know you know you and the idea of a black widow movie you know never really like kind of like hit you like with a ton of bricks but the fact that you're saying that means a lot. Like, it's like this character watching the movies like this is somebody who is important. And it's like, mm-hmm. why, why are we not focusing on her at all? And why does the MCU never take that risk? Like, why is DC the only one who took a risk that the, you know, third movie in, we're going to do a, a female led film um, and we won't get that in the MCU all the way till, you know, Captain Marvel. Well, the the really weird thing is that, especially by this point, Marvel had the, for lack of a better term, political capital to do it. Yes. Even yeah, if absolutely. it sucked, Thor the Dark World, and more importantly, the Beneath Contempt mm-hmm. Iron Man 2 proved that you could have mm-hmm. a misstep and people would forgive you. Even if yep. that Black Widow movie looked like it was going to it wouldn't bomb by this point. There was so much momentum. Sure. It's not yeah. making less than half a mil- yep. half a billion dollars, period. So why not take the risk by this point? You're going to make money. Age of Ultron proves that even if you have a crap product, you're going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Just go for it, man. Like, just jump in. Now, yeah. counterpoint. I don't think a black. I still haven't seen Black Widow. We're gonna. I'm gonna see it as part of this yeah. this watch yep. and everything. I don't think Black Widow winds up being as enjoyable as Ant Man, because Ant Man is a movie I didn't think I wanted or needed in my life. Mm-hmm. But I remember walking out of the theater saying, "Man, I had a good time. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I forgot about yep. my problems for yep. two hours. And watching it this time, forgot about my problems for two hours." Thanks, yep. guys. Like, yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. <laughs> I got enough going on in my life. Hey, all right. I had a good time. I, I had some laughs. I, I thought, I, and, and the thing is, the special effects are phenomenal throughout the whole thing. They are phenomenal. They 
Yeah. You look at Age of yeah, Ultron. I'm glad you brought that up. Age of Ultron. We we harped on there's there's questionable matting. Dark World, there's effects where it's like, yeah, that doesn't really hold up. I'm watching this movie how many years later and I'm like, this is solid. There's nothing in here I would that I think doesn't work visually. It's stunning. Nope. Absolutely stunning. And considering the fact I that you have somewhere to, shocked. Yeah, there's a fight. Again, okay, fine. The fight with Falcon is worth it in the sense that him going small and growing is done so mm-hmm. seamlessly that I don't sit there and mm-hmm. go, oh, that effect didn't hold up. Like, I'm just with it. Yep. And it works perfectly. Well, and the fact that they make his effect when he gets smaller, like it has that comic effect yes. where you can actually see yes. the progression. You know, it it's it's perfectly done in that sense. And, and I think that's the thing about this movie is that – and I want I'm glad you brought this up because the effects are a representation of them understanding what they have with the idea of making things small and has the most fun so far yeah. in the entire MCU at this point with its concept. Yes. What happens if we can make things bigger and smaller? Yeah. It's phenomenal. I mean, that fight at the end oh, with the geez. train set. I, is just brilliant. Brought the I house mean, it's down. Bloody brilliant. Brought when I saw it, it brought the house down. The entire I remember the entire theater erupting in laughter uh, with the, with the train. Even though you'd seen it in the trailers, right? Yep. That was my one thing. Was like ah, oh, in the trailers they kind of blew that moment, but still the audience erupted in laughter because we were so caught up in the fun of everything that was happening that it was. Just, I mean, I'm laughing about it, thinking about it now. It's just fun. It's just a great time. Yep. So, you know, to your point, yep. yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. And, and it it was one of the things that re-watching this film, I was just really surprised by. Um, because, again, it was another place where the movie worked in a way that some of the other Marvel movies hadn't in the sense of, you know, the effects, the, the concept, the, uh, the, the whole thing holistic nature again i keep saying that word but like the holistic nature of this film everything is working together in a way that is pretty phenomenal and so i only had one question then really to ask you before we got to the ratings and everything how do you feel about the the two little stingers we get because we get the one with hope and then of course we get the one which is literally just a scene pulled from yeah Civil War. Uh, they should have just had the one with Hope. I don't. I don't. I don't like the fact that there's this. You know, it, it. It's the the scene from Civil War. Just show a trailer for the movie. Seriously, I, I mean that's what you're basically doing. Kind of like what they did with Avengers. In yeah. That one, like they just showed a trailer at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Just just show a trailer, or even. Because it plays too much like Thanos opens the safe and he pulls the gauntlet out. Fine, I'll do it myself. Why? What? What does that have to do with anything? What are you talking about? You know, like, it's just, it's, yeah, I think the second stinger is, this is the point where the stingers are starting to feel too indulgent, where now they've set the expectation of two overall. And so, okay, we're going to give you two. And it's just, uh, okay, just give me one good one. I'm fine. What about you? Did you feel the same way or? Well, I just felt like the one with hope didn't need to be a stinger. And mm. then the second one is unnecessary. 
in, in all honesty. Um, and so I, I just, you know, I mean, it, it's fine, but it wasn't necessary. And so, and I, I, I mean, and I do like the one with hope because it does have an implication on the story that we saw. It's, it's the mm-hmm. full rounding of the arc for the father and the daughter yeah. and their place together. And him, like, opening the door to trust her and to say, you deserve this. You deserve that. Like, he's tried to kind of protect her this whole movie uh, because of everything that happened with his wife. But he's also realized she deserves to be able to make the same choices that his wife did. Mm-hmm. And because she's an adult. And, I, I, you know, obviously that opens the door then for the next movie we have with these two characters together with Ant-Man and the Wasp there together. and Which so, I'll be watching for yeah. the first time here on Assembling Avengers. Yeah, which is super exciting. There you so, go. Um, well, I then have to ask you, because we've had nothing but effusive praise True. for Ant-Man so far. What is the rating you have for this film? Four and a half. I take a half off for those little nitpicky things. but the, mm-hmm. And this is the thing, is once you approach a certain level, the nitpicky things seem worse. There can be a movie that I would rank lower than this where some of the nitpicky things you're like, well, you didn't pick on those things. Well, yeah, because I was talking about the bigger problems. Whereas with this, as you climb the mountain, that last little bit before the summit is just a little bit harder to get up because you, you, sure. you've... you've you built up so much up to that point. So I'm at a solid, I mean a solid four and a half. I could be talked into a five mm-hmm. after this rewatch because somebody could look yeah. at me and say, you're being too much of a hard-nosed jerkweed about that Falcon scene or the the hope thing not grinding. Yeah, get off. off your jack wagon. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm firmly on my jack wagon right now, so I'm sticking yeah. with four and a half stars. What about yeah. you? So this went from a three and a half stars where it was for some reason. I, I don't know, remember why. Uh, it is a four and a half stars. Uh, I, I'm at the same place. It's like, and, and I think you're absolutely right in the sense that when we're getting this far in the MCU, it's like, okay, there, there has to be something that is just, I, there, it has to have everything perfect, right? And and I, there's nothing that's not really great here for me. It's just not reaching the level of the five star film that is Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. right? And so that's, um, I think that's where it comes down to. And so, but yeah, I mean, gosh, four and a half stars. I this yeah. it creates a conundrum there with but, the ratings. But see, I think I think also <laughs> that watching these in quick succession and seeing this follow Age of Ultron so quickly mm-hmm. really really illustrates how good this movie is. Because I see Age of Ultron and then a week later I watch this and I go, Oh wow. Oh yeah. I have to really give credit for how well this turned out because Age of Ultron was a mm-hmm. mess. So, yeah, well, I mean, this is the end of phase two. And the thing is, you always make me go first. I want to make you go first this time. I got to know what your rankings wind up as right now. With Ant-Man being a four and a half star, where are we slotting? So, of course, number one is the Winter Soldier. Uh, 
Then number two is Iron Man. Uh, number three, Iron Man 3. Then we've got the first Avenger. Then it's Ant-Man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and uh, then it is the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Avengers. And then we get Thor the Dark World. Iron Man 2. Mm-mm. And, of course, at the end, where it belongs is, of course, Thor. Okay. I, this one, Ant-Man winds up throwing things all topsy-turvy. And let me explain why. Guardians of the Galaxy is actually going to lose where it is in the rankings right now. And wind up getting dropped. Because watching it in succession in this quick succession i can't help but compare ant-man to guardians of the galaxy and say oh wait no that one really got the comedy right guardians of the galaxy wins my heart like all of that stuff i love it but in all honesty ant-man makes me realize that i've been treating guardians of the galaxy with some kid gloves in terms of where I rank things. So we wind up with at the top of the list, winter soldier. Number two slot is going to be iron man three, which is another five-star movie. Then we're going to end up with ant-man at its four and a half stars, which knocks out guardians of the galaxy. Now to be fair, guardians of the galaxy, because of the comparisons, slots down in such a way that Ant-Man is number three, Iron Man is number four, and Guardians of the Galaxy slips from number three to number five. Wow. Followed by Captain America, Hulk, Avengers, Thor, Avengers, Age of Ugtron, Thor, the Dark Blech, and... Oh, I even forgot Ultron, didn't I? And just absolutely hammering it as if I'm in the Hulkbuster armor, Iron Man 2. I forgot to mention that Ultron on the, the bottom of my list. I'm sorry, folks. It was it's it's so far down in the pit that I couldn't even remember it was there. Is it dead last for you? <laughs> Age of it's Ultron dead is last. dead last. You're right. Wow. That's, and this is the problem is just as Guardians of the Galaxy slid on this one because of Ant-Man, I reserve the right as I reconsider everything to drop uh, Age of Ultron lower because I can honestly tell you just like Guardians of the Galaxy dropped a bit more because I saw Ant-Man I'm like oh that's how you do it mm-hmm. I'm looking at my my rankings right here I'm like man Age of Ultron maybe I was being too kind to it and uh, yeah yeah so over time it'll change we reserve the right to do that, y'all, because it's our show and we're allowed to make mm-hmm. up the rules as we go along. So there you yeah. go. Uh, it's it's so crazy. Uh, I I mean, in all honesty, I I can't believe that's actually the case for me. I mean, Ant Man just really surprised me here, and I think um, as it should, it was really good. So, okay. Uh, well, John, you know, this has been a blast. We have finally finished 
phase two. Yes. Uh, we'll be moving into phase three in the new year. Yep. Uh, before we hit phase three, we're going to return to Snyder Cuts to talk about Army of Thieves, which is going to be exciting. Yes. Uh, but if anybody wants to catch up with you and talk about the first two phases or, you know, I don't know, maybe they're like, hey, John, did you see Spider-Man, the new one, and want to <laughs> get your thoughts? Where can they find you? I'm not going to see Spider-Man No Way Home until it's on home video, y'all. Just, you know, <laughs> trust me. It's uh, it's just the way things are going to be. I'm too focused on the Batman at this point. You can find me online as Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, connect with me on Letterboxd. I can't quit Twitter because it's, I, I don't know, I need to find some new addiction. It's just, it's sick. Um, but Kessel Junkie is my username. You can find me over on the Nerd Party Network, where I co-host two shows. One show is called House Lights, where we look at the work of directors, whether their entire career or by certain specific decades or what have you, or different categories. And I'm also co-hosting a what I feel is a delightful Star Wars show, where we go truly just absolutely deep dive, uh, called Aggressive Negotiations, which I co-host with you, Matthew Rushing. And, of course, you could find me on The Orb, Warp 5, and Literary Treks. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. And Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And, of course, you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But, of course, thank you so much for joining us. Avengers! Avengers!